from deep inside your audio device of choice. Just, just one guy, three CD machines, a turntable, and you. I know it sounds like Weekend at Diplos, but it's really just this program. I was, um, ladies and gentlemen, I was I was driving here on the streets of New Orleans, which is the best way to get here because I'm in New Orleans. Otherwise, it would be it been a quixotic choice. And uh, it, it struck me that I, I don't know after whom most of these streets are named. I mean, some of them are named after uh, uh, Greek mythical figures. Terpsichore, for example, or Melpomene. Melpomene, as we say here. Um, Calliope, as we say here. But uh, others are named after after real people. Well, individuals who have lived and died. And then there are those that we do know who they are, like Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee. I was in a Twitter conversation over the weekend with somebody who was uh, defending the whole uh, practice of naming stuff after Robert E. Lee because he was such a great general, and we still study his tactics. And um, it, it just occurs to me, as a as a piece of notable curiosity, um, they don't name streets after him in the north. They don't put up statues of him in the north. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wacky? Um, it's not asking too much. It's it's not a big ask, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, expect public figures to to denounce Nazis. Let's just let's uh, put that right on the table right there. That's. That's going to be our place setting for the hour. But, and there, well, there is no but. But, and it also seems to me that um, a lot of public officials who've raced to um, say, no, not me, I'm not like that, have then engaged in the usual degree of hyperbole just to, just to nail it down. And, uh, indulged in the locution that somehow we Americans expect moral clarity from our presidents. Now, I remember the last time this came up was um, when Bill Clinton was in office. You know, remember, Bill, what do we tell the children, Clinton? And uh, we need moral... We can't have a man in the in the Oval. And it, it occurred to me then, and it occurs to me now, this is the greasiest poll in American life, the uh, political poll. And um, the guy who, or gal, one day, who climbs to the top of the greasiest poll in American life is suddenly expected, really, to be a moral leader. That's peculiar. I would, ex- I would, look, to, um, I would look to wholesale liquor dealers before. I'd, that would be me, personally. They're fine people. There's some fine people in the wholesale liquor business. Um, the last president we had um, is widely believed to have been uh, better at, at moral leadership. And certainly when issues of race came up, he delivered uh, one memorable speech. I believe it was in Philadelphia that uh, addressed the issue with great grace and clarity. But the other issue requiring moral leadership during his administration, he punted on. A little thing called torture. We'll talk more about that later in the hour. But here's your moral leadership 
right here. Moral clarity, courtesy of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. James Murdoch, the uh, CEO of 21st Century Fox, and son of Rupert Murdoch, who happens to be one of President Trump's close and formal advisors, as you know if you've been listening to this program, he wrote a scathing email denouncing the president's reaction to the violence in Charlottesville. The presence of hate in our society was appallingly laid bare, Murdoch wrote. These events remind us why vigilance against hate and bigotry is an eternal obligation. I can't even believe I have to write this. The standing up to Nazis is essential. Democrats, Republicans, and others must agree on all this, and it compromises nothing for them to do so, unquote. He says no, 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 no good Klansmen either. He said he was writing in a personal capacity as a concerned citizen and as a father. It said his business had tried to contribute to a diverse and tolerant society. He's talking about Fox. He um, did announce a charitable donation to the Anti-Defamation League. So there's moral clarity from Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. There's your, there's your moral clarity right there. Here's more moral clarity. Fiat Chrysler Automotive's Dodge brand deleted social media posts promoting drag races that took place the day that the driver of one of its vehicles killed a protester and injured at least 19 others in Charlottesville. Until Tuesday afternoon, the last four posts on Dodge's Twitter feed used the hashtag hashtag Roadkill Nights, referring to a series of races held Saturday near Detroit that the brand sponsored. Uh, That was the same day that an Ohio man drove a Dodge Challenger into a group of counter-protesters in Charlottesville. Some of Dodge's more than 740,000 followers, they follow Dodge on Twitter. People have a lot of time on their hands. Uh, Criticized the brand for keeping the posts up after the violence. Dodge's delayed response contrasts with that of Tiki brand products. Do you know about this? Tiki brand issued a statement distancing itself from white nationalists who carry tiki torches. It seems to me completely tone-deaf that they wouldn't acknowledge it was one of their vehicles that was very clearly identified in the weekend's events, says co-managing partner at Brain and Trust Partners, which advises companies on social media use. Dodge is the lead sponsor of Roadkill, a website, magazine, and television show. The brand has sponsored annual drag races in Detroit for the last three years. It's unfortunate that such a pure, safe, family-friendly automotive event was linked to such a senseless, horrific act, Fiat Chrysler said in an email statement. The family-friendly event they're talking about is called Roadkill. Ladies and gentlemen, just to make sure you understood that. Um, I think the reason that we expect, despite all logic, moral clarity from presidents of the United States is because of the way this place was set up. Unlike most modern democracies, uh, we do not separate the head of state, the ceremonial leader of the country, the person who gets all the foo and the falderall, from the head of government, the person who's down in the muck trying to make the laws and trying to uh, run the place. In our country, those two roles are conflated. And so you find that, uh, especially uh, this came to mind when Ronald Reagan was president, to criticize Ronald Reagan, you had to jump past these hurdles of adoration and adoration. 
more adoration, adoration squared, that was heaped upon him because he was he he was so good at the head of state role, a role our current president doesn't seem to um, know was was uh, rolled into the head of government job a couple hundred years ago. So uh, my recommendation, people ask me sometimes, well, what's your, you, you, you tear things down all the time. What's your solution? So my solution is, next revolution, let's make sure we have a monarch. Hello, welcome to the show. Something's happening, but I'm just gonna turn a blind eye. If I see no evil, I ask no questions and I hear no lies. Communicate with minds that are small With some people it's like talking to the wall And the fellow who walks away Lives to battle another day And I've really got no appetite for a fight Not tonight All I want is a quiet life Anything for a quiet life No ambition to rock the boat When I can just stay afloat And be content with a quiet life All I want is a quiet life Anything for a quiet life Hear no evil, see no evil Speak no evil at all Eventually between these walls I'm on top of it all I'd rather have and think I'm deaf, dumb and blind Than aggravation every time I speak my mind Keep storm and have a quiet life Anything for a quiet life I could easily From New Orleans, Louisiana, home of Robert E. Lee Boulevard, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this week's edition of the show. And now, I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Fish may be actively seeking out plastic debris in the oceans. Tiny pieces appear to smell similar to their natural prey. This is 
what new research is reporting. The fish confuse plastic for an edible substance because microplastics in the oceans pick up a covering of biological material, such as algae, that mimics the smell of food. This is according to a study published in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society B. I guess that's not as good as the Royal Society A, but what are you going to do? Scientists presented schools of wild-caught anchovies mm-mm, with plastic debris taken from the oceans and with clean pieces of plastic that had never been in the ocean. The anchovies responded to the odors of the ocean debris in the same way as they do to the odors of the food they seek. These dumb anchovies. The scientists said this was the first behavioral evidence that the chemical signature of plastic debris was attractive to a marine organism and reinforces other work suggesting the odor could be significant. Marines are always attracted to odor. The finding demonstrates an additional danger of plastic in the ocean as it suggests that fish are not just ingesting the tiny pieces by accident. No, they're actively seeking them out. They're plastic hunters. Should have the show their own. The lead author of the study told The Guardian, when plastic floats at sea, its surface gets colonized by algae within days or weeks. That's a process known as biofouling. Keep that one in your notebook for future reference. Why, you're you're not just fat-shaming, you're biofouling. Previous research has shown that the algae produces and emits DMS, an algal-based compound that certain marine animals use to find food. Plastic may be more deceptive to fish than previously thought. That if plastic both looks and smells like food, it's more difficult for animals like fish to distinguish it as not food. Well, why don't we just put a big, no, not a big, like a micro sign on it that says not food and then teach the fish to read? I, I'm, I'm full of solutions today. Bumblebees. This is another subject now, ladies and gentlemen. Back to the bees. Back to the bees. We'll skip the birds. They're less able to start colonies when exposed to guess what? You want to just take one wild, wild guess? A common neonicotinoid pesticide. That's according to a new study from the University of Guelph. I don't think the gibberlines contributed to it, but there you go. Professor Nigel Rain has discovered that exposure to this particular neonicotinoid, thiomethoxam, reduces the chances of a bumblebee queen starting a new colony by more than 25%. Bumblebee queens that were exposed to the neonicotinoid were 26% less likely to lay eggs to start a colony. Tom, you want to help me with that? I uh, less likely to lay eggs. Yeah, that, that, that puts a pin in it. A reduction this big in the ability of queens to start new colonies significantly increases the chances that wild populations could go extinct, according to the author. The study was published in Nature, Ecology, and Evolution. Neonics are among factors contributing to the decline of bees. They're currently being phased out or restricted in a number of countries, restricted in all of Europe, um, being phased out in Canada. Canada. The... uh, they examined the impacts of exposing the queen bumbles in spring when they emerged from hibernation and fixing to lay their first eggs. Given the vital role spring queens excuse me, have in maintaining bumblebee populations, we decided to focus on the impacts at this stage of the life cycle, says Rain. These spring queens, excuse me, represent the next generation of bumblebee colonies. Happened with more than 300 of the queen bees less likely to lay their eggs. But, you know, we all need, I think we've been all told to have less eggs anyway. Um, How about 
our freedom-loving friends, ladies and gentlemen, in uh, Saudi Arabia. What's up with them? Well, this week, the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, uh, rejected an appeal from survivors of the 9-11 attacks. It's, it's now late enough in the game where you don't pay a political price, apparently, for turning away an appeal from 9-11 survivors. Uh, they had asked her to disclose publicly a report on the role of Saudi Arabia funding Islamist extremism in Britain. That report has been suppressed. Earlier this summer, you may recall, the British government announced it wasn't going to publish the information, citing national security and a vast amount of personal information. Well, I'd stay off the Internet if I was afraid of that. Among those calling for May, Prime Minister May, to make public the report, which was commissioned by her predecessor, was a U.S. group of survivors of 9-11 attacks and relatives of the people who were killed. The British government rejected their request to make it public. They had requested the opportunity to stop the killing spree of Wahhabism-inspired terrorists by releasing the report on terrorism financing in the U.K., which, according to media reports, places Saudi Arabia at its center of culpability. The British government, as I say, rejected their request. The group has described it as shameful. The U.S. and the U.K. continue to protect Saudi Arabia, allowing them to operate freely with impunity, even supplying them with lethal weapons as they go about their usual business of inspiring intolerance, committing genocide, and human rights violations says Sharon Primoli, who was on the 80th floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Brett Eagleson, whose son John perished on the 17th floor of the South Tower, said the British government was withholding potentially crucial information. It's a shameful day for democracy, he says. What does democracy have to do with it? We th- That went out the window, Josephine. Ellen Sarancini, the window of a pilot on Flight 175, which was flown into the South Tower, was the la- said the U.K. response was the latest in a series of rejections. For 15 years, we've been blocked by our own government. She means the U.S. government, who, along with the U.K., continue to protect Saudi Arabia at the expense of their citizens. The U.K. report has the potential for ending terrorism by outing those at the center of its funding, but refuses to do so. Unquote, F- 15 of the 19 hijackers, as you know, in 9-11 were citizens of Saudi Arabia. The authorities in Riyadh have rejected any official role in the attack. They've rejected legal actions seeking compensation. Earlier this month, lawyers for Saudi Arabia filed a motion seeking to have a lawsuit against it dismissed. A number of historians have pointed out that uh, Britain and the U.S. have a long history of promoting and using Islamic extremists, Islamist extremists when it suited their needs. Mark Curtis, a historian, wrote recently that Saudi Arabia's role in promoting Wahhabism has been known for decades. Britain has previously moved to ensure strategic ties with our freedom-loving friends are not damaged by covering up damaging information. In 2006, Tony Blair halted a major criminal investigation into alleged corruption by the Saudi arms company BAE and payments... Oh, sorry, not the arm... It's an arms company, BAE, and payments to Saudi officials evolved in an arms deal. The uh, letter informing the 9-11 survivors their request was being rejected doesn't mention Saudi Arabia, but said the report concluded there are a small number of organizations in the U.K. who receive support, including funding from overseas. I hope you will appreciate that the review report is classified because of the volume of personal information it contains, but also for national security reasons. 
So, so you know, we won't know. But we do know. That's the thing. We, 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 we do know. It's just we won't know. See what I'm saying? And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Heavily armed troops and police units went into Rio's slums last week. The crackdown came exactly one year after the president opened the Olympics. Instead of the potential of making Rio one of Brazil's most prosperous regime, uh, uh, regions, which was trumpeted like these trumpets, at the time there have been surges in crime and corruption linked to Brazil's hosting of the World Cup and the Olympics. State coffers have been bled dry. In June, the former Rio governor, Sergio Cabral, was jailed over corruption involving infrastructure contracts for the games. In the first six months of this year, Rio experienced a 14% rise in murders. The number of persons killed by police soared to 581. Public safety has deteriorated dramatically, according to Amnesty International. We see clearly the Olympic promise of a safe city has not been fulfilled, said Amnesty. This report is from Deutsche Welle. Last Sunday, hundreds of slum residents converged on the Copacabana Beach to plead for an end to lethal police shootouts. Gains made by policing in the several years before the game, such as the evictions of drug gangs, have withered away, partly because post-Olympic funds had dried up. And? How's that Olympic legacy going, Tom? A legacy? Mm-hmm. The legacy in London? A legacy in London. The, they were seen as a great success, the Games, five years ago this month. At the time, the country was promised the end of the Games would not mean the end of the success story, that there would be a lasting legacy, Tom, a lasting legacy of sports participation. But in England, that promise was broken, reports the BBC. The government gave Sport England a, more than a billion dollars to invest in grassroots sports, a once-in-a-generation opportunity, a real golden moment for the, B, for the UK, said the Secretary of State for Culture, Olympics, Media and Sport. But there's been virtually no increase in participation in sport. Since 2005, when London won the bid, there's been no change at all in participation rates among 16 to 25-year-olds. In 2015-2016, nearly 70% of the 5 to 10-year-olds were asked whether hosting the Olympics encouraged them to take part in sport. They said... Nearly 70% of them said not at all. Of the 11 to 15-year-olds, 57% said the games had encouraged them to take part. For both age groups, though, there has been no change in actual participation. There's your legacy right there. No matter what's trumpeted, The Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one. Every day. Nah, you're not going to get to end it, guys. Take five. Take take five days. Take five weeks. So, ladies and gentlemen, a tumultuous week 
in um, the American news scene because really they don't cover anything with what's happening uh, with <laughs> President Trump and uh, and the responses there too, which you know really does play into his hands. That's always been his game. Back to when when he was playing footsie with the uh, New York tabloids. I'll say weird stuff, and you'll cover it, and I'll denounce you, and we'll just keep doing that. The game continues. So it continued this week with um, his ping-ponged reactions to the uh, events in Charlottesville a week ago, Saturday. Um, lots of members of his own party, as I mentioned at the top of the show, stood up to denounce his... his um, supposed equating the few violence-prone demonstrators that came to protest, that were among the many protesters who came to protest the presence of KKK and Nazi sympathizers in Charlottesville with the KKK and Nazi sympathizers that the president had uh, somehow granted moral equivalence to the two groups. Um, but that and, and that the, roiled the waters in Washington, even though nobody's in Washington, the the metaphorical waters of Washington uh, this week. But that wasn't all, of course. Uh, after much rumored dissension within the White House, uh, um, a, a warning signal was issued about a week ago when Roger Stone, the um, Puckish, he would like to think he could be described as um, one-time advisor to President <laughs> President Trump, who is now uh, out on his own limb, um, gave an interview where he denounced. Now, Roger Stone um, was very much involved with the Trump campaign at the beginning, and he denounced Steve Bannon, then uh, chief White House strategist. Uh, this is a week and a half ago. And um, it was kind of a warning sign that uh, Bannon was on thin ice. Then Steve Bannon gave a, a remarkable interview to a uh, liberal progressive publication, The American Prospect, and to its uh, editor, Robert Kuttner, in which he uh, denounced the um, alt-right as clowns, but said that uh, there was, he was fighting every day inside the White House for Trump's agenda. Um, maybe that was a signal, don't fire me, or maybe that was a signal, here's what I'm going to do if you fire me. Um, in, in the event, oh, among the people he was fi- fighting every day, according to the uh, interview, were Ivanka Trump and her husband, Jared Kushner. Apparently nobody, nobody told Steve Bannon that the only people who can't get fired uh, in an uh, administration are, are members of your family. He, d- he didn't get that memo. Anyway, he's gone. Um, one story has it that uh, he and uh, the new chief of staff, General Kelly, uh, mutually agreed that Friday would be his last day. Uh, others say that Trump has long been incensed by the only thing that really gets him mad uh, about people in his inner circle, which is if they try to get to be more famous than him. There was that famous Time magazine cover where Steve Bannon was... Uh, depicted as the um, the brains of the operation. 
Uh, so there were there have been reports that Trump himself fired Bannon, although we, we have, I guess, have a surfeit of reports now that Trump doesn't like firing people, despite the uh, persona he played on TV. And there there also been versions in which Bannon resigned. In any case, within hours, he was back at Breitbart News, um, free to attack Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. And um, the ugliness of the week's dialogue and discourse may only get uglier. is Is there any place, one can wonder, is there any place where this could be resolved. Today, on an all-new Dr. Bill, he thinks she took away his best political friend. She's a globalist. There's nothing worse I can say about her. She thinks he's a grandstanding self-promoter. And I'm just saying what my dad told me. The marriage is over. Can the divorce be amicable? Let's do this. I gotta see the demo on my new app. Five, four. Let's make this the day you decide to be more like me. Have a good show, Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have you ever noticed that the closer a relationship is, the harder the breakup can be? Have you ever noticed that I just said that? Well, today we've got people who prove that even cliches can come true. Please welcome Ivanka Trump and Stephen K. Bannon. Dr. Bill, I just want to uh, say, first of all, I think you're a master of the television medium. If you ever wanted to move your show to the upcoming Breitbart TV network, uh, I'd be more than delighted to negotiate the deal with you personally. Steve, Steve, let me tell you flat out, mm-hmm. I may no longer be a psychologist, but I'm not crazy. Well, <laughs> Seriously, this uh, syndicated TV deal is the sweetest thing since deep fried biscuits. But <laughs> Ivanka, uh-huh. as I understand it, this man thinks you are a Democrat and a globalist. I, I don't know where he gets that. I'm dedicated to my father and his agenda for this country Mm -hmm. and to empowering women to buy my clothing. That's all. And that clothing is made in our number one trading enemy, China. No, that's not true. Oh, come on. Even the the mainstream media have reported that. This is stupid. This is why... This is why I just stayed in Stephen Miller's office all day, which the mainstream media got all wrong. Mm -hmm. Ivanka, where are your clothes manufactured? Chinese labor is getting way expensive. And that disempowers some women from even thinking about buying these pieces. But I'm not here to talk about that. Well, Steve has been inciting his friends oh. to attack to attack me because of who I married. Uh, well, this, now, Steve, yeah. was this all just a, a love triangle disguised as an argument about politics? All due respect, Dr. Bill. Thank but you. this is even bigger and more consequential. Not to mention that I, I find her a little strong for my taste. Basically, the issue my people have, and they're fine people, is that she married into a globalist cosmopolitan clan, and to this day, she just seems to be proud of it. I am very proud of See? my husband. Yeah. He's like my dad version 2.0. But uh, well, but this person here yeah. has always tried to stand in the way of our efforts to present my dad in the best possible light, you know, sand down some of his rough edges. That, that, that's just it, Dr. Bill. I'm all about rough edges. Without his rough edges, her father is just a, 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 a an overweight blonde Mark Cuban. Uh, look, now, now, Steve, yeah. you say that like it's a bad thing. 
It is. It, it really is. All right, Ivanka, uh-huh. is there anything you could say to Steve that would express your deepest feelings about him clear and real direct? Yes. Uh-huh. Good. Your office is closed. Don't try to come back. And my dad isn't answering your calls. <laughs> Now, no, Steve, how, how does that make you feel right about now? Oh, oh, he'll be answering my calls all right, and there's uh, there's nothing this little schmatamonger can do to stop him. <laughs> I, I mean All right, it. all right. You, you, you both can calm down for a minute. Have some Dr. Bill water. Thank you. Uh, watching all this via the Polycom from his uh, own TV studios, a friend of everybody involved in all this, Newt Gingrich. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Bell. Thank you for uh, inviting me on to take time from an exciting new uh, book project I'm, I'm thinking up as we speak. Well, Calista, of course, is in, uh, busy at the Vatican, so this one was going to be almost bizarrely different in a way that... Newt, uh, we, we're, we're delighted you're here, but we didn't exactly invite you on to uh, talk about your new book project. That's not what it said in the email. Okay, well, you see our two folks here. You know them both. What can you tell them to maybe take some of the hot pepper out of this um, this mess of chili? Dr. Bill, I'll, I'll be frank with you, uh, now that I'm not talking about the book project. Right. This is a generational struggle for the soul of American conservatism. Frankly, I wouldn't be approaching this as a, as a counseling issue, but more as a management theory issue uh, from the standpoint of Deming and Drucker and their understanding of... Well, we seem to have... Uh... Lost our connection. Maybe with all the sweetness of your syndication deal, you forgot to pay your Polycom bill. <laughs> no, we, we, we just cut him off uh, because we wanted to save time for one more guest on the Polycom from the White House. Here's the person whose affection you two seem to be battling over, President Trump. Come on now. There you go. Welcome. Welcome, sir. Uh, hi, Dr. Bill. Mm. Tremendous fan of the show. Terrific show. Thank you. Uh, know everybody on it. Very close friends of mine. And, of course, uh, daughters as well. Well, sir, if I can, mm. and it is my show, let me, uh, let me tell you how I see things. These two folks are battling not so much for your affection as for your loyalty. Uh, that's right. Uh, loyalty is the most important thing to me. Uh, loyalty and success. Those are the two big ones. And, of course, fame. Those, those would be... And, the- and, and now, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to reassure them that fighting is not the way to gain your loyalty. Yeah, but it's, it's good ratings. I will tell you that. Well... <laughs> not as good as WWE, but it's daytime. And, and uh, look, I see this from many sides. Many sides. Well, if I may, Mr. President, mm. I see you as a man who's used to exercising unquestioned power. And that's my best thing. And I, I think, I, trying to put myself in your shoes, mm-hmm. that having all these folks around fighting either to block you or to push you or pull you this way and that, right about now, you, you must be feeling a little bit like Gulliver. Can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. I think that's terrifically profound. It's very insightful. Well... Gulliver who? No, you know, I, mean, I, I know you've got a lot of work on your plate, mm-hmm. but I think if I could get the three of you to the Dr. Bill house for a couple of weeks, we could, we could iron all this out. Well, I'm just rolling up my sleeves and sharpening my weapons right now. I but... don't think Jared would like the food. Frankly, I've heard it's a dump. Okay, well, folks, tomorrow we'll meet a mother who says her very own daughter wants to run off with her husband. And no, it's not a rerun. Till then, make today the day you decide to turn your back on tomorrow. So long. The Dr. Bill Show is a make a big production out of it production.
Her daddy's doorbell was ringing when I called on the telephone. He was the one to answer me, so I told him what was going on. Said I love your daughter, but we don't get along. Well, now some moral lack of clarity, ladies and gentlemen, for your listening pleasure. Dayline Guantanamo Bay Navy base, a former NCIS. Remember that TV show? They actually have this. He's an investigator with it who worked at the wartime prison during the Bush administration, wrote a book, Unjustifiable Means. Now his lawyers are asking a bipartisan group of senators for help 
getting the Pentagon to clear it for publication. Mark Fallon's manuscript has been held up for more than seven months in pre-publication review, according to Carol Rosenberg at the Miami Herald, who is the single go-to American reporter on subjects relating to Guantanamo. We're increasingly concerned that some in the government are committed to suppressing Mr. Fallon's account, the lawyers wrote to six senators, including John McCain and Senator DiFi. The lawyer's letter describes what might be troubling Defense Department officials about the book. It concerns the Bush administration's policies authorizing harsh treatment and torture of detainees, an insider's account of the moral and strategic costs of those policies in the many ways that honorable working Americans working in government protested and resisted them. Between 2002 and 2004, Fallon was special agent in charge of the Department of Defense Criminal Investigation Task Force, was responsible for some interrogations and evaluating intelligence with an eye toward prosecution by military commissions. He's been outspokenly critical of decision-making during that period, telling the Miami Herald that some captives were brought to Gitmo based on, quote, the sketchiest bit of intelligence with nothing to corroborate. It was clear early on that the intelligence was grossly wrong, he said. Most, quote, weren't battlefield captives, calling many, quote, bounty babies, unquote, men captured by Afghan warlords or Pakistani security forces and turned over to the Americans for the money. He told the uh, Miami Herald the book names those in command positions that helped drive the policy decisions to adopt torture within the Department of Defense. Of course, you know, we're not supposed to look back. We're supposed to look forward. We were told that by our moral leader. Meanwhile, two psychologists, the two you've heard about on this program a lot, Mitchell and Jessen, who devised the CIA's torture regime, I mean interrogation program, have settled a lawsuit that several victims filed against them just weeks, less than three weeks before the trial was about to start. Trial, the, the onset of a trial kind of focuses one, doesn't it? The settlement caps the case in which, for the first time, former top CIA officials were forced to testify about their roles in the enhanced interrogation program, the case unearthed CIA records that shed new light on the program's creation and how controversial it was within the CIA. Mitchell and Jessen issued statements after the settlement was announced, distancing themselves from any unauthorized actions that spurred the lawsuit. You'll be glad to know the terms of the lawsuit are confidential. So um, why should we know, you know? Were, were they, were they um, persuaded to settle by, uh, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. The three de- detainees who were alleged in the suit to be victims of torture were held at a secret vi- a prison in Afghanistan known as the Salt Pit. One of them froze to death. The other two were a, uh, a Tanzanian fisherman arrested in Kenya and a Libyan captured in Pakistan. All three were subjected to methods developed by Mitchell and Jessen, including sleep deprivation, deprivation, being clad only in a diaper for almost the entire length of his interrogation, beatings, water torture, extreme temperatures, stress positions, and ear-splitting levels of music. But they wouldn't play any Spinal Tap. I I regard that as unfair, me personally. The uh, joint statement of the three detainees said, we brought this case seeking accountability and to help ensure that no one else has to endure torture and abuse. We feel we've achieved our goals. The Washington Post reports the psychologist made $1,800 a day while they were working for the CIA and then later formed a company that was paid $81 million as contractors to the CIA. 
under an indemnification contract, the CIA, that is to say you and me, are obligated to pay Mitchell and Jessen's legal expenses until 2021. The American Psychological Association issued a statement uh, at the uh, news of the settlement. We're relieved that Mitchell and Jessen abandoned their ill-advised effort to fight the lawsuit, alleging that they were responsible for harming three men who were imprisoned and tortured in a secret CIA prison, said the president of the Psychological Association. However, this settlement in no way absolves them of responsibility for violating the ethics of their profession and leaving a stain on the discipline of psychology, unquote. Not like the one Dr. Bill leaves, but still. So, yes, there, there still is so much we don't know, so much we may never know. But thanks to uh, the moral clarity of our previous chief executive, we know one thing. We tortured some folks. you got to remember, we were really afraid. We'd ignored the warnings, and then we got played. There was panic in the White House, panic at state, panic at the Pentagon, people working really late. They were patriots. They cared and they fought. What the contractors sold, they bought. So we rendered some Arabs with the help of the blokes. Like it or not, we We tortured some folks. We didn't think it was torture per se. That's what the White House counsel said back in the day. Enhanced interrogation is how it was known. So we slapped and waterboarded and froze to the bone. Sure, it violated our values and laws. But we were more scared than when we first saw Jaws. Some very good men did some very bad things. But who among us knows why the caged bird sings? So we tormented some Muslims, then went out for some smokes. It hurts to say it, but we We tortured tortured some folks. We could look backwards. We could game the blame. We could point fingers. We could wallow in shame. We could punish the guilty for each little flaw, as we're supposed to do under international law. We could say we're sorry, which we never do, because we're exceptional. And so are you. So let's leave it at this. Let's leave it unseen. Let's look to the future and wipe the slate clean. You don't want to pursue this. Neither do I. It would be like busting me now because I used to get high.
So let's pretend we don't hear the screams and the croaks and just tell our grandkids. We, we torture, torture some folks. folks. No jokes. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Deadline Philadelphia, Philadelphia firefighter, says he was drunk and making a dumb joke about the white nationalist rally in Charlottesville when he posted a picture of himself holding a torch, not a tiki torch, because the tiki company has, and wearing a Confederate flag hat on Facebook. John DeLuisi says he uploaded the picture in response to another post referencing the rally. He removed the picture. He apologized and said he's disappointed in himself. The fire department says it's investigating and will might take disciplinary action or might just hope you forget. Hillary Clinton's pastor and spiritual, spiritual advisor apologized this week for plagiarizing a part of a devotional, one that he sent to her the day after the election, that was published in his new book. The Reverend Bill Shalady, Shal, Bill Shalady, apologized for borrowing heavily from an Indiana pastor's blog post when he emailed his daily devotional to Clinton on November 9th, the day after she lost to President Trump. What it intended as an entertaining fantasy football scene ESPN realized too late at times bore an uncomfortable resemblance to a slave auction as part of its multicultural, multi-platform fantasy football marathon, an attempt to play off the popularity of the game and spur interest in its own fantasy offerings. Is there too much fantasy in America right now, do you think? The Sports Channel had fantasy competitors bidding Monday for NFL players of all colors. Completing the outdoor scene was an auctioneer, which might have seemed like a lark, some in the audience might have seen it as fun or even funny. The sketch featured a white auctioneer holding up popsicle sticks with faces of players to what appeared to be an assemblage of mostly white bidders. For many viewers, it was seeing African-American players auctioned off that was discomforting, including Odell Beckham Jr., who said he was speechless in response to it. Auction drafts are a common part of fantasy football. ESPN segments rec replicated an auction draft with a diverse slate of top pro football players, ESPN said. Without that context, we understand the optics could be portrayed as offensive, and we apologize, unquote. CBS Radio Las Vegas has backed down from its intention to ignore the new Golden Knights NHL team in their inaugural season with six radio stations in Las Vegas. Thank you, Bill Clinton. We've always prided ourselves on informing, educating, and entertaining listeners and supporting the communities we serve. However, we missed the mark in an internal email that instructed our stations to no, no longer report on the Golden Knights, the city's first and only major league sports team, said Tony Perlungo, senior vice president of CBS Las Vegas. This was an error in judgment on our part, and we deeply regret it. We apologize to the team, their fans, and our listeners. Look forward to rooting the team on when the puck drops. The operations manager... See, CBS lost the uh, rights to broadcast the Golden Knights, and uh, the operations manager, in re response, sent an email to all employees telling them that in their world, the Golden Knights do not exist. This was what the apology was about. Dateline Davenport, Iowa, former mayor Phil Yarrington has apologized for the controversial posts made earlier this week on his Facebook page, included a picture of the Confederate flag and comments in support of white protesters in Charlottesville. I'm sorry for the Confederate flag post, Yarrington wrote. I don't hate anyone. I'm not a bigot and I'm not a racist. If an apology will stop the madness, there it is, with sincerity. If my language offended you, it's because you threatened me. Not enough sincerity, Phil. Montreal Mayor Dennis Coderre and Police Chief Philippe, Philippe Pichet have apologized to the LGBT community for institutional discrimination and police raids in the 1970s and 90s and 80s. 
in which more than 800 people were arrested. It is important for us to put forward this public apology today because we want to turn the page, said Coderre. Hyundai Card Company this week apologized for what's being criticized as a disrespectful concert performance in, by American pop singer Ariana Grande, Ariana Grande in South Korea. Grande got ne- negative feedback from fans over a concert Tuesday, part of her tour. She arrived just three hours before the concert, went on stage without a proper rehearsal, which wouldn't matter except that they uh, sold expensive VIP tickets, which allowed buyers to watch the singer's pre-show rehearsal. Some ticket buyers have reportedly asked for refunds after learning there would be and was no rehearsal. Many have also pointed out Grande's apparent lack of willingness to connect with Korean fans during the show. Amid the negative feedback, Hyundai Card, which sponsored the thing, apologized to disappointed fans via Facebook. The company also explained it's in talks with a company that sold VIP tickets to try to provide refunds. Grande, arriving right before the concert, leaving immediately avoiding the press, has left the impression as if the concert itself was mechanical, said the head of the company. A pop concert? Mechanical? Surely you jest, sir. Deadline Greensboro. The city council apologized Tuesday for the city's role in the 1979 Klan Nazi shootings. The vote came unexpectedly after several speakers urged the council to take the steps, the step in light of Charlottesville. There was a report by the Greensboro Truth and Reconciliation Commission which reviewed the incident. The uh, shootings happened just as a march was forming in a community heavily armed caravan of Klansmen and Nazis ro- drove into a Death to the Klan rally, confronted anti-Klan marchers, many of whom were members of what became the Communist Workers' Party. During the ensuing gunfire, five anti-Klan marchers were killed. As recently as 2009, the city council voted to issue a statement of regret for the events of that day, but at that time had stopped short of apologizing. Clay Aiken is dubbing dubbing himself himself a dumbass for saying he believed that President Trump is not actually racist. The former House candidate competed in a 2012 season of Celebrity Apprentice. I'm sorry, he says, for saying, remember all those times I defended Donald Trump and believed he was not actually a racist. I've always thought he would be a dumpster fire as a president. I was right about that. I just didn't think he was racist, said Clay Aiken. Aiken uh, ran as a Democrat for a House seat in North Carolina. He claimed in the same interview that Trump, as an apprentice star, didn't make firing decisions. NBC made those decisions. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It was very much, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV, Aiken said. And... Spokesman for the University of North Dakota has apologized to the local newspaper after reviewing footage of a UND police officer ejecting reporters from a public university property. The top public affairs official, Pete Johnson, delivered an apology in person to two Herald, Grand Forks Herald reporters at the newspaper's downtown offices. The journalists were covering a visit by Scott Pruitt, head of the EPA, to the university's Energy and Environmental Research Center when an officer asked them to cross the street. It's clear to me, after looking at the body cam footage, that the reporter should not have been asked to leave the university property, said the university spokesman. I thought it was unfortunate that it went that way. I'd apologize to both on behalf of the university for that. Scott Pruitt doesn't seem to want any publicity. Novel. Paris Hilton has apologized for her controversial remarks about the women who've accused Donald Trump of sexual assault that appeared in a recently published magazine profile. She had said, I think they're just trying to get attention and get fame. 
Paris Hilton said that. They want to get money or get paid to not say anything or get a settlement when nothing really happens. So I don't believe any of that. Jeez, uh, I want to apologize for my comments from an interview I did last year. They were part of a much larger story. I'm regretful they were not delivered in the way that I had intended. I was speaking about my own experiences in life and the role of media and fame in our society. It was never my intention for my comments to be misapplied almost a year later. I always believe in helping women have their voices heard and helping create an environment where women feel empowered and believe in themselves. I feel deeply hurt by how this has played out and also deeply sorry. I will continue to do what I can do to be an advocate for girls and women with the hopes of providing a louder voice for those who may desperately need it, says Hilton, who achieved fame first through being a model represented by Donald Trump's modeling agency and then thanks to a sex tape. It's all so empowering. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. the world since 1983. This is the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.49 megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin and the mighty Soho Radio in London around the world via the internet at two different locations live and archive whenever you want at harryshear.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast at Sideshow Network SoundCloud. Sticking around. TuneIn.com, iTunes, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like you're getting moral clarity from somebody who's entitled and uh, credentialed to give you moral clarity if you'd have just agreed to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Huh? The show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desk. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. Me, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.